Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thank you for joining Kim and I today on the wonderful world of wine. We are here to talk all things wine. How are you, Kim? I'm well, Mark. How are you today? Everything is great. Great. Excited to talk more wine here with our listeners today. And the uh, first story we found is a story that was in, I'm looking for it, the Ridge Winery, ridgewine.com, wrote a little article. They do nice blogs, and they wrote one about ingredient labeling and and you mentioned it, Kim, it just so happened it was kind of an advertisement for them but because they are <laughs> the kings of starting back, way back, probably six years ago now, they put ingredients on the label. And they oh, put, longer than that. It's well, been a they, while. They've always wanted to put it from my understanding is they were getting- Oh, in, you know what I'm thinking of? They always would do like very, very detailed like sort of wine technical notes on the backs of their labels. You know, they have their alcohol content down to a tenth of a degree and they always write like what the what the amount of acid in the wine is. But you're right. The actual ingredient label uh, is a newer thing for them. But they were the, like the first California winery to, to really want to, to give the consumer more information on the label. And I thought it would just be good to remind our listeners and review labeling and ingredients and in this big movement to push to putting ingredients on the gentlemen at Ridge. They, I mean, they make fabulous Zinfandels and Cabernet. Paul Draper, I believe, is still the winemaker there. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it, in his article, he was saying how when they first approached the TTB who regulates the labels and said, hey, we want to put on the label exactly what is in this bottle. And the TTB said, uh, we don't recommend that because it's not required. And he kind of freaked out about it. And over the years, he gradually started saying, I want to do this. I want to put it on. So I know you've been doing a lot of labeling classes lately, Kim. Did you see more movement to people being interested in this? I know we talked about it a lot, but I I think it's really important for me to understand what people are looking for, because I always hop on this topic as you know. I mean, I think a lot of people want to know what's in their wine. I think they want transparency, but I also think that it's very confusing. So when I do my label classes, I focus a little bit less on ingredients and more like how to read the label. You know, is it is this a grape variety? Is this a region? You know, is this telling you anything about the style? Like, what can you learn from the alcohol content? Like that kind of a thing. Not so much by looking at this label, can you see if there are added ingredients or or whatnot? It's funny. You talk about reading the label. And I, I think right now, technically, there are three things you can look at right away to me when, when I teach this to say what is in this bottle. And that is the grape, the alcohol, and the sulfites. That's definitely three ingredients that you can tell it's required by the government to be on the label. Everything else is optional or not required. And those are the things I always tell people you should really try to dive deep into finding out what is in there and why don't people care. And they touched on it in this article that the wine industry is a food industry, but it's not required to list ingredients like the food industry. Right. And, and it brought to me when the whole COVID thing hit, 
how it really stuck out to me that this wine industry is a food industry is that we were considered an essential part of being open during COVID. So it was really a food industry. So what do you think, Kim, on their point of view of how they looked at what they're putting in and and talked about organic a little bit? Mm -hmm. What did you think of how they compared organic and what the concern should be for the ingredients? Well, you know, they've always been a winery and winemakers who have always had this focus on transparency. They've always been the ones to put way more information on that label than even before it seemed to be of interest to the consumers. So they've really been the ones kind of at the forefront of getting in front of the government and be like, hey, we think that there should be, you know, more information on here rather than less information. And they really do feel like having that transparency makes them look a little better. I, you know, I don't know how to how to put it. I think it's a positive, but it puts them at the forefront of this idea that the more you know about your wine, the more you can sort of trust who the winemaker is. And they have this I would say idea about organics that even if they're not technically organic, they have a a big issue with the things that can be added to a wine either in the vineyard or in the winery. So they feel like that stuff should be made known to the public. Yeah, they were talking about you can grow the grapes organically, but then once they're picked, that's where you should also be concerned. Mm-hmm. What what are they doing to it after they're picked to be processed? Right. So and that and that is a big difference when you look at labeling for organic in the US versus in Europe. You know, you can have that organically grown grapes on your label and it's still, yeah, it only covers half the process. It doesn't really have any bearing whatsoever on what happens to those grapes once they leave the field and once they enter the winery. I took this as there's wineries or wine companies that they're telling you everything. They're being honest what the grape, what the percentage, and we talk about the tech sheets when you go on their websites, they're telling you everything. They're telling you when they picked it, you know, the weather when they picked it, how much they picked. And if you go on a winemaker site or a winery site and they're not telling you that, that's where I sticks out to me, Kim. And I'll say, why are they not telling me how mm-hmm. much of the grape is there? Why are they not telling me what they're doing with the wine? That I think people should be concerned about. And, I, and to me, it always bugs me, Kim, that when I tell people, they look at me like, well, you know, why should you care about it? And, I'll, and I come back to them and I'll say, when you're picking up your food, you're reading the ingredients, right? And you're looking and you're, you're right. researching that, but you don't do that for your wine. And why do we do that? Why do we do that for, like, why do we pay attention why, to food labeling, but not to wine not, labeling? Not to wine, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, I used to sort of chalk it up to, well, there's this romance for wine and people just make the assumption that it's a more natural product than it is. And it very well may be that that is still part of it. You know, you think about, you know, the <laughs> the, the idea behind, oh, this bottle of wine was handmade and handcrafted and people picked the grapes. You know, even if that's not true, that is sort of the mythology be- behind wine, regardless of if it's from that doesn't have the same, you know, carrots don't have that same sort of connotation. I think sometimes something like, you know, a fresh ripe tomato or something that you get at the farmer's market has more of that connotation for people. But I just don't think that produce at the grocery store, you know, when you buy a head of lettuce, 
that there's as much attached to it with this sort of mythology of of what this product is really all about that wine has. So you think if they put all this stuff on the label, it kind of ruined the the romance of wine? I think it would. I'm not saying that I don't think it's a good idea because I do feel like people should know what is going into their food. But can you imagine what a labeling on a non-organic head of broccoli would be like if they had to list all the pesticides that were used? Right. Good point. So on the one hand, why can you still call a head of broccoli a head of broccoli, even if it's been treated in all these ways and sprayed with things and stuff like that? But then wine needs to be held to a higher sort of standard if it undergoes a similar treatment. And once again, in this article, Kim Ridge mentioned there are 60 legal additives. I see this number between 60 and 100. And additives could mean it's something that's used to treat the wine or process the wine and other things that can be used to manipulate the wine. So I think there's a big difference between say like an acid you're using to balance the wine or keep it from spoiling, you know. But I think the problem there is that there are certain things that winemakers use to correct their wines that maybe wouldn't have any detrimental effect on the health of anybody, but that the market and regular consumers don't know how to tell the difference between something that is benign and something that could be dangerous. And I, I honestly don't feel like consumers in general are educated in any way uh, really about that. I mean, we hear all of these things about, oh, pesticides are bad for you. But I mean, do we ever actually know what is on our apples, you know? Right. And they always talk about it as additives. Right. And it really should be broken down in things that you're adding that you probably shouldn't be adding versus things that you're adding for good purposes, you know? And and, and I think they're going to put all these chemicals down and all these long terms, people are just going to get scared anyway. Yeah. I mean, we get scared when we see acid uh, uh, involved with, with the wine and stuff like that. So I just keep going back and forth. I want to know, but I really want to see is people be more concerned and want to try to learn a little bit about this. And and I don't see it. I don't see the movement. Yeah, I don't. I really don't either. I mean, there's and there's so much wine that is consumed out there. And, and I think a certain segment of the population will gravitate towards organic wine, but I not at the level that people are looking for organic food products. What do you think about the comment they, they made, the terms fine wine versus high-priced wine? Mm, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. It's a tricky way to differentiate because usually it's that fine wine and high-priced wine are, you know, they go hand in hand, but not that's not always the case. So- Yeah, it's like the marketing behind calling something fine wine. Why do we call something fine wine to begin with? Is it just price point? What is it really all about? Is it number of bottles that are produced? Is it reputation of the wine? Is, Is it any of those other, you know, and I'll go back to sort of romantic concepts that make a specialty bottle of wine have this sort of mystique about it. And for you, a high-priced wine might be $40. For me, it might be $100. You know what I mean? So, and same with fine wine. We all have different definitions of what those two And it's so gray. Like, it's such a gray area. Like, what is fine wine, you know? (laughs) But how is he trying to relate that to ingredient labeling? Saying that, uh, you know, a high-priced wine should have, or a fine wine should, like, I I didn't get his point. I think he's insinuating that that even if a lot of money doesn't 
that there aren't additives and, you know, different levels of processing, but it's very vague. And that's one of the reasons why after I read this article, I was like, oh, this is just an advertisement for Ridge, you know, because it is quite vague the way that they're talking about, you know, what should be in wine and what shouldn't be in a wine. And do we want to categorize things that way? They seem like the only people I see constantly trying to say this. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many small wineries out there, but people, they really don't promote it like Ridge is trying over the years. But they did have a good ending to it saying, if the U.S. does end up regulating or requiring putting ingredients on the label, that people should be telling you how they're processed as well as the ingredients. So what else are you doing? You're putting this in there, but how are you processing it? And that could go back to, like you mentioned earlier, when they're harvesting it, how they're harvesting it and other things they might be manipulating, what they're using in the vineyards and stuff like that. So there's a difference between ingredients and the processing treatment or the grapes being grown in the processing. And it's almost like you need to look at it as two separate sides of the same coin. You can do one thing in the vineyard and then do something completely different in in the winery. So let me ask you this, Kim, when you do a label class and you're telling people these are the required things. I'm almost positive you're getting feedback saying, wow, I never knew that. I'm going to start looking for that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what kills me is why when we tell you this is these are the rules, this is the stuff that's going to help you read the label. They don't want to go the next level a lot of times. So if, let me research a little bit more of what's actually going in here. Do you find that that they they kind of stop at the once they learn the label, they don't want to really dive any deeper. Yeah, I think so. Because it's a lot of work, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is out there. We talk about the tech sheets and stuff like that. But I just get too, I get too geeky on it. And <laughs> I always keep learning more and more and trying to justify the things I'm looking up. And I don't know, I, it's just a big thing for me. But I just feel we, we refresh the listeners on what's happening with ingredients. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find more information about me, including classes at commonwealthwineschool.com and more information about Mark on his website, franklinlickers.com. And thank you for listening to us on Franklin Public Radio or on SoundCloud. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Mark and Kim, and we are here as we are every week discussing trending topics in the wine world. And we wanted to talk a little bit now about some common aromas in wine, wine tasting, how to put your finger on what it is that you might be smelling in your glass. And, uh, you know, we often talk about these, uh, these common categories, these common ways to describe wine. And it really does always seem like it's a work in progress. You know, (laughs) it's, it's something that's always changing. And we found a really cool website called Palm and Vine, which has some great graphics illustrating the tastes and aromas of of wine. And I love when wine writers can turn what they do into something visual, because I think it really pulls the reader in, pulls the taster in. So I would definitely say check out uh, palmandvine.com. Yeah. And as with the the topic we just talked about, Kim, ingredients, aromas in wine is something a lot of times when we talk about, we do, we're doing a tasting and we say, you know, pick up the glass and what are you smelling? And you might say cherry or whatever. And people say, well, I didn't know they they put cherries yeah. in, in this wine, <laughs> I always right? have to mention this in a tasting class. Yeah. So why don't you explain to the listeners how you would explain that? How would you say? What- so I, I tell people that when they've gotten to the point 
in their learning about wine that this little light bulb goes off. They realize to ask the question, hey, is there blackberries in my wine? Is there Are there peaches or apple in my wine? Like, is that where those aromas are coming from? That's when I feel like they're really engaged because they're starting to think outside the box. They're not just saying, oh, this smells like wine. <laughs> you know, or, oh, this tastes like wine. I don't know. I don't have the words to put to this description. So when people like that little light goes off and they're like, wait a minute, is there something else in here? And it's like, no, now we get to talk about why. Like, why is it that you are smelling and tasting these things that you wouldn't ordinarily associate with grape juice? Um, and I, I always tell people, you know, if you have a glass of Malbec juice and you have a glass of Malbec wine, they are going to taste so different from each other, even if that fruit came from the exact same plant, even and were picked at the same time. Because fermentation does these things to the juice. It changes it. You know, it rearranges the chemical compounds and the chemical bonds in the juice through the magic of fermentation. So you get so much more aroma and more interesting aromas out of a fermented beverage than you do out of a non-fermented beverage. So because of those changes in the chemistry of the juice, there are these compounds that to our palate and our nose and our brain remind us of these other things because they are also those chemicals that might be found in an apple or in a banana or in a green bell pepper. It's kind of geeky, you know, when you get down to the science of it, you're not making it up. You actually are smelling those compounds. Um, I love to talk about the green bell pepper one because that one is one that I feel like can really stand out to people. And also it has been a, a chemically, scientifically documented compound in wine, in certain wines, that if you get that green pepper smell, it is the same exact chemical compound that you would find in a green bell pepper. So I just think that that's so cool. I like how you said the light goes off because yeah, how many it's times like, bing, light bulb. <laughs> we're tasting wine and, and you're smelling, you're smelling and you, you, you know you're smelling something, but you can't identify it. And then someone in the room will say, green bell pepper. And you say, oh my God, that is it. So a lot of times that light goes off when someone else detects something that you just can't put you know, your words to it. And over time, as you keep tasting and tasting, those things stick out more because you're making these memories of, oh yeah, that's what bell pepper smells like, or that's what cherry smells like in this wine. And that's what this smells like. So yeah. And there are some that are easier to pick out, I think, than others. So like that bell pepper one, stick your nose in a glass of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and think grapefruit. I think that's another really easy one for people to learn. So there are some that are way more subtle or some that might not be food smells, you know, food aromas or food flavors. So we would be like that. Ah, like, why do I want to taste leather or stones or tobacco or dirt <laughs> or fall leaves, you know, in your wine. And it's this whole combination of, well, it's taste, but it's also mostly smell. So it's like, you know, use your creativity and use your imagination. But some of those other ones are often, I think, harder for people to wrap their brains around. And a lot of times you'll hear the word aroma and you'll hear the word bouquet. bouquet. So bouquet has really fallen out of fashion. You yeah. really don't. I don't like see that anymore. All I, often. I always like to explain it. You know, you first smell and you might get one primary aroma that's really hitting you. And then over time, you're getting more and more. And, and technically, I believe a, this ain't a bouquet should be a more of an aged wine where things are really developed and you're getting more and more things happening in the wine. So you're detecting more. So 
I, I always go with that as for, for explanation of the two. So what about you? You talked about the bell pepper. You want to, you want to start with that as one of the aromas they say is most common in wine. Yeah. And that's actually the first one that they mentioned in the article. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's one that once you know to smell it, you can't miss it. And uh, they are um, pyrazines, I believe, is the, the the group of chemicals that make up this sort of peppery uh, smell. And sometimes I'll even my brain will translate it as, oh, that's not green bell pepper. Like that smells like a jalapeno or that smells like, you know, a ghost pepper or something like that. But it's a lot of a green sort of aroma. So they're often found in the Sauvignon family of grapes. So Cabernet Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Franc, especially from cooler climates tends to have a lot of this um, Carmenere, Merlot. So that whole family of grapes will often show a lot of this characteristic. And sometimes it does pop up because it is wine or grapes that are grown in a cooler climate. And then other times it might be encouraged a little bit by grape growers because they might think that this adds a little bit of interest to the wine. So for our listeners, Kim, they want to experience this aroma in wine go to bell pepper cabernet to buy region see if we're on the same page that you would Hmm, region um i mean i tend to get a lot of this in wines from chile i don't know if you were thinking south america yeah no exactly yeah Chilean cab. Yep. Anything, anything from Chile, I often will get this sort of underripe green kind of yeah. a flavor to it. Almost like at first when I was blurring wines from Chile, it was like I'm getting a vegetal thing going on. Mm-hmm. And then it's okay. Yeah. Now it's more pepper, bell pepper, or green pepper. So over time, you kind of build on that. And there are different you know, depending on what your own experience and your own sort of sense memories is, you know, sometimes these come across as that bell pepper. Other times they come across as like herbs or green grass, or sometimes people get it as like canned vegetables um, and and things like that. But there are a variety of different uh, aromas that you could smell that are all sort of interrelated like this. And one of the things, Kim, we always joke about when we do tastings for people that are just kind of starting out and wanting to learn aromas. I think people get nervous that they're going to say something wrong. Yeah. And there is really no wrong. If you're smelling it, that's what you're smelling. Mm -hmm. But we always kind of give them the guidance that if it's a white, say, apple, if it's a red, say, cherry, I was going to go to Apple never, next because I know yeah. that that's one of your favorite things to do. Yeah. So if you can, you know, to be safe and you think you're smelling, you know, rhubarb, but you want to be safe, just say it's a little cherry, maybe if it's red and <laughs> you won't look like, you you know, totally freak someone out with what you say. So, so let's go to another fruit, apple, very common Yes. in wine, green apple, baked apple, red apple, apple skin, it goes on and on. Yeah. And, and, you know, some people get really sort of esoteric and they're like yellow apple or red delicious apple or granny Smith apple. I would say granny Smith. Sometimes I will put my finger on because it'll have like a apple plus like a green kind of tartness to it. So often I will describe something as granny Smith apple or cooked apple. I might say this is like baked apple because it reminds me of like applesauce or pie or something like that. So that's its own, I think, difference, but that's usually associated with other aromas that are going on, like vanilla or spice or, you know, some of these other things that, that have that pop up in this article, but just on its own. 
Yeah. I mean, Apple is a fairly safe uh, descriptive term, especially for something like Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio. A lot of the other whites from Italy have a lot of this apple aroma to them. So you, when you were going to sniff or take the aroma of a wine, did you have something like a, a guide you use of what you would try to detect? Not usually. I like to just sort of freeform when I'm tasting. And sometimes I might go back and kind of try to jog my brain about what a particular grape variety is supposed to smell like. But usually I'll just sort of start jotting down ideas in my tasting notes about what the aromas are that I'm getting. And I'll usually, if I'm writing a tasting note for description for a winery, or if I'm writing an article or something like that, I'll usually spend a good five minutes just sniffing the same wine and like going back to it and seeing if I can pull out any other aromas and try to make it have as good depth as possible. Right. And unique. Like I try to make it unique because otherwise all your tasting notes just end up being apple and lemon, apple Apple, and lemon, (laughs) apple and lemon, you know. For me, it's like I'm looking for three kind of things to stick out, either earthiness or wood or fruit. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we haven't even talked about, we've only talked about fruit. We haven't talked about those other big categories because fruit is just one of these many categories when you're just right. Right easier to finger on. Does it smell floral? Does it smell earthy? Does it smell spicy? Then say, okay, describe the fruits you're smelling. So I think that that is, yeah, a really smart way to to approach it. Yeah. We can go on and on for for days, everything. (laughs) I know we totally can. You know, you mentioned early on about picking things out. Are are there any aromas you have a hard time detecting in wine? Because I know I have my my biggies that even over the years, I keep people say it and I, I was like, why can't I detect that in a wine? And they mentioned some of it in this article talking about an, an Italian herb. I'm trying to find is this the one that I, they use a different term? I usually use the term garrigue because that's the southern yeah. Italian, a uh, southern French term. Um, that is hard. Although I had a Zinfandel last night that absolutely was overwhelmed with that herbal sort of smell. So it's like when I smell it, I know it. But I, you know what I have a hard time with is pear. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, it is kind of, a unique thing to find in the wine too. A lot of yeah. sometimes Pinot Grigio, you can get that, but you're, yeah, that's interesting. Mine is yeah. definitely herbs. Yours is herbs. Any like Italian whites that are supposed to have classic herbal notes. Yeah. I, I just, I don't. So herbs, not, herbs not, like not. fresh green herbs, like parsley Anything and basil and stuff like that, or herbal. like dried not rosemary. Like kind a dried of type of thing. Okay. Because anything that's green Mm-hmm. I can usually detect, but like, yeah, that's a good point. Anything that's dry, I would say okay. would be the descriptor that. So like that, yeah, like Herb de Provence mix where it's all the dried herbs and, you know, right. it's kind of crunchy and smells pretty, but maybe not the nicest thing to actually exactly. eat. Exactly. Yeah. I can get a lot of spice, a lot of like clove and stuff like that, but not. I have a hard time picking out, like I can say, okay, this is baking spice or sweet spice or spice box or cigar box or whatever, but having the ability to pick out and say that's cinnamon, that's clove, that's nutmeg. And these are things that I use all the time in my kitchen. So, I mean, I've got a loaded spice rack and I know what all these things smell like, but I have a very hard time sussing out those individual spices when I taste a wine and smell a wine, frankly. You mentioned pear. What about like on tropical fruits? Can you pick out like pineapple versus mango versus... That melon. I think I have an easier time doing. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, it's this, 
you were saying there's just so much we don't even have time to, to talk I know I mean, citrus <laughs> fruits and melon fruits and well, spices there's just so much but I think we just had to you know tell the listeners whatever you are smelling even if you say it smells like wine which you said we get that a lot to me it smells like wine over time you'll say yeah but do you smell blackberry do you smell oak do you smell this and people say yeah and then I think over time they start you know, realizing and memorizing what they're smelling and instead of just saying. And I think it's helpful to taste a couple of things side by side too. It's really hard to be able to put words to these things when you're tasting just one wine. But if you have two things, especially if they're really different from each other, and then you can be like, okay, this one is more like apple and this one is more like grapefruit and be able to do a comparison. And that's where I find it can be really helpful to have a couple of things that you're tasting sort of side by side. Right. And try not to read the reviews or the descriptor before you try it because you're just automatically <laughs> going to have that in your, your head. Right. The that, influence of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we're here every week on Franklin Radio WFPR 102.9 FM. Cheers. Cheers.